Hi, Paul. Hey, Jackie. So I'm supposed to tell my friends about movies I've never seen. Do you want to hear a movie I've never seen? Oh, God. Yep, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the movie is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (sighs) You've never seen Ferris Bueller? I've never seen it. I mean, I know the line where he's like, Bueller, Bueller, and I assume that's when he takes his day off. I mean, per the title, he does take a day off. Okay, so that's easy to guess. <laughs> I, If I were to guess the plot, I'm going to guess it's like Matthew Broderick plays a high schooler. He decides that school's boring and he wants to like, I don't know, maybe like go to some arcade or something. There's probably a love interest and then he gets in trouble at the end. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I, I won't spoil it for you, though. Well, I mean... I feel like I got it just based on your reaction, but I'm excited to go see what Ferris Bueller does on his day off. I'm excited too. Welcome to Jackie Watches Stuff. This is a podcast chronicling my cinematic quest to finally watch the movies I probably should have already seen. And I'm bringing my friends along with me. So, Paul, I feel like I should have in the background to start off this part of the show. I was, I was about to say, is it inappropriate if I just go like, bow, bow, like every like 15 minutes just to. I feel like you just have to throw in like a, oh yeah, because you have the deep oh, voice. Oh yeah. Wow. That was so Thank good. So you. that's pretty much the whole movie, I guess. That's is... it. So it was a good run. Great, great podcast. Great. Thanks so much for coming. Um, but no, I feel like if for listeners who, like me, had not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I have to give a 30-second recap of the movie. Ready? And go. Okay, so Ferris Bueller is a super sly dog, and he wants to get out of school in the 80s because it's kind of, like, nice outside, but there's still clouds, whatever, fine. So he fakes sick, and his parents are loving and believe him like they always do, apparently, and then he bullies his friend Cameron, who is, like, actually dying of some weird illness to get come over and, like, drive him around. They get into a bunch of shenanigans, and they get out Ferris Bueller's girlfriend from school, and then all of a sudden go to downtown Chicago, and then Ferris Bueller has to race his sister home, and then he still tricks his parents. <sighs> that was 30 seconds. I did it. I feel really yeah. proud of myself. That No, that's a very uh, concise synopsis. I, I think the only thing that was missed is the, is the B-plot of Edward Rooney trying to uh, ruin his future, but it's Ferris Bueller, so nothing bad happens to him. Right. I forgot about that. That is a really big plot. This movie is on Netflix. I found it on Netflix, which I realized probably meant it was a good movie to do um, for this show. And I loved the fact that Matthew Broderick right off the bat and throughout the movie is like breaking the fourth wall. And that's like a really big piece of this movie. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's amazing story writing. I, I don't know what the vibe was at that time. I know this movie actually came out the same year Top Gun came out. And so that's a very different vibe, but Mm -hmm. it just felt, it felt a little different than, any other movie that probably was coming out around that time. Yeah. It's like, it was really interesting where, and obviously I wasn't alive in the eighties myself. So sorry that I'm a little young, (laughs) but there was a vibe that, you know, Ferris Bueller is always compared to Marty McFly of back to the future. And like Ferris Bueller is, you know, both are cool. They're like cool guys, but like Marty McFly is a slacker and Ferris Bueller is just this like, 
kind of like as as said in the movie, he's just a righteous dude. Like he's you know everything happens to him and it works out for him. <laughs> yeah. I read that that line was actually one of many that was improvised. And now it's like super well known. And I didn't even realize that it was that movie when it happened. I was like, Oh, that's this movie. I had no idea. <laughs> and it's no so idea. funny. That's like one of the few lines that is quoted all the time. You know, obviously, you know, Bueller, Bueller, everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but the one for me is the, uh, um, oh my gosh, they're out of the Cubs game. Swing batter, batter, batter. He can't, he can't hit, he can't hit. Swing batter. That's, well, I thought that was kind of like a, everybody does that thing. I am not a baseball fan, so. <laughs> when I go to baseball games, I do it all the time, but I do it as Cameron Fry. <laughs> I think that's a good way to do it. I'll have to start doing that now, even though, I mean, when's the next time I'm going to watch baseball? Let's be real. Okay. But. We should get into the movie. So we get, there's an MTV flashback to when it was like actually good because MTV was a huge thing in the late 80s when it had come out, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And we see Ferris Bueller, a.k.a. very, very small Matthew Broderick, come out and be like, oh, my God, it's so nice outside. And the camera takes extra time to show like there's clouds in the sky. It's like one of those like there's not a lot of clouds, but there's some clouds. And I was like, oh, Sure, Ferris, this is a great day to take off of school. What? Like, <laughs> I know they're in Chicago where the weather is mostly shitty, but really, this is why we're going to get out of school? I don't know. I, I mean, I've always thought that since he, you know, this was his ninth time skipping school, that, mm -hmm. you know, he was just using the weather as an excuse. Or And, you know, it, it did look like a lovely day. Um, it was lovely. But yeah, it, it, just, it was just more of an excuse. Like, eh. It's my ninth time. It's a nice day. Or seventh or sixth or fifth because we can hack computers in the 80s like that, which I know computer hacking is possible. It was just hilarious to me that you've got this big old school like throwback. I mean, at the time, not a throwback, but he can suddenly just get in and kind of slowly reduce his uh, absence count one by one. No, it, it's it was so deliberately done too, and you know it's it's just classic Ferris. You know he's he's making the best of what he has, and you see that throughout the movie. He doesn't have a lot, but he makes do with what he has. I don't know. I mean, like Ferris Bueller is more of like kind of like an ideal of of like like how one can you know maneuver slyly, as you said, through these like weird life scenarios, and you know it it just kind of shows you how entrenched he is in you know culture, you know. Yep. Well, he's he's like a, apparently a legend at school because you've got like random freshmen calling him on the payphone in the school, which I, my phone or my school never had payphones. But you got <laughs> freshmen calling him on payphones. They're passing the payphone around and everyone's like, oh, hey, it's Ferris. And they're like raising money for him. And that, hey, Ferris, that how's your bod? <laughs> that through line plot, I think, was was wonderful, truly. I don't think it was necessary for the movie, but I'm so glad it was there. Like, just, it was beautiful to me, truly. Yeah, it was It was so funny. And, and just the fact that everyone, and like towards the end of the movie, you know, Charlie Sheen and, you know, everyone at the police station just knew who Ferris was. Oh, you're, you're Ferris's brother. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, oh, yes. Phenomenal. What I did learn, though, I should mention, I learned about the house that they shot in. I didn't, like 
know I was going to find anything out about this, but it's like just some random family's house that they knocked on the door one day and they said, hey, we need your house for 10 days. We're going to shoot in it. And they said, okay, fine. Um, So the family that lived there at the time, the Balkmans, they don't live there anymore, but Mm -hmm. I guess they just let this crew come in and use like one of the son's rooms for Ferris's room and They had to do some tweaks like the intercom system. Um, I guess they had to drill that hole in the fence that um, Rooney looks through to see the dog. They had to add the dog door. Um, And there's this like anecdote that goes around. And I don't know how true this is because I feel like, you know, everything on the Internet obviously is true. But they unplugged the refrigerator because it was making too much noise during takes. And I guess they spoiled all the food in the fridge. And so the Balkman family made a thousand dollars off of this because they got their food spoiled <laughs> which like it's like ferris bueller was shot at my house and all i got was a thousand dollars i find that fascinating i actually you know funny enough I, I as much as i have watched this movie and i've dove into it i actually never knew that that is fascinating yeah i mean it's like one of those things where you don't because it's tv magic right like they can make houses they can make anything but in any case, yes, it was shot in like a regular old home. So that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. I I, I love hearing new stuff, especially with like the food that again, that I find that fascinating. It's so weird. I mean, like, honestly, at that point, it's like, no, no, I if I knew that they were going to be over, I wouldn't even bother putting food in my fridge. But who knows? Also who true. Knows? But we see the house a lot because they end up. I mean, Ferris is there, obviously, in the beginning, and he's, like, dancing around and doing his thing, and then he bullies Cameron. Poor Cameron. Can we just, like, pour one out for Cameron, man? Who he gets bullied so hard trying, like, he's like, dude, I'm I'm so sick. I'm so actually sick. Like, please stop calling. But also, come on, Cameron. Like, if you're going to be friends with Ferris Bueller, you know what you're getting into. Like, you you knew. You knew. You knew. He definitely knows. And, and Cameron is, I think, my favorite character in the whole movie. Just Absolutely. You know, he has like the little nuances and he's so goofy. And then, you know, I know that we're jumping ahead, but he has that existential moment at the art museum. And it's just like, it's so funny. Oh, my God. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Well, even like the way that he's like going back and forth between going inside and going to his car, like he's going to keep calling me and I'm not going to let him. He's going to bother me. He's just going to keep calling. It's like, it's the the constant turmoil that he is dealing with inside of himself that very becomes very clear at the art museum and beyond is beautiful to me. It is, it is hilarious. And, and then at the end of it, he, he just, he, he always goes along with whatever Ferris is doing. Yes. And, and, and he finds joy in it. He realizes that, you know, like that it is fun, even though he hasn't, you know, quote, seen anything good today. It, he still is getting joy out of what Ferris is making him do. It's awesome. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, too. And I wrote it in all caps. I wrote a Ferrari Cameron. You knew what you were getting into. Like after they pick up or they, they make the call and they get in the weird fight in uh, Ferris's kitchen when Cameron's pretending to be Sloan's dad. And Ferris is like, well, what are we going to do? We have to go pick her up. And he's like, oh, I know what we're going to do. Like, Cameron, you why would you even present it to Ferris as an option? Like, why would you put him close to this thing? Like, that's on you. Um, you advised me before I watched this movie not to Google anything about 
the actor John Hughes. Or I'm sorry, not John Hughes. That's the wrong Jeffrey guy. Hughes. Thank you. Oh no, no, no I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry, Jeffrey Jones. You would yes, you advise me not to Google Jeffrey Jones before watching this movie, and I did not. And then I Googled him, and I learned a couple things. Um, mm-hmm. I learned that he is from Buffalo, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually went to high school in Vermont, which is funny because Paul, that's where you are. Um, And that's where both you and I are from is Buffalo. And uh, he also is a sex offender. There's so many criminals in (laughs) acting. (laughs) What is going on? It's, it's so, it's so bad. And, and and yeah, like he's, he was in, a lot of people know him from Beetlejuice also. I don't know if that's on your list, but, um, but yeah, he was, he was another big actor in the eighties, early nineties. And, um, and then in 2006, he was, he, it, it wasn't, I, I don't think that it was actual, like, he molested a child, not to get graphic on this podcast. It, it was it was child pornography. I think it was possession of, like, way too much child pornography, which is. How much is too much, Paul? <laughs> well, well, one is too much, but, like, apparently it was, yep. like, it was, it was, it was, it was, no, it was, like, hard drive upon hard drive of child pornography, so. Um dear not great and then as you watch it it's kind of like yep i see it now just got it feels a little uncomfortable but you know he i will say did a great job in his role the the argument that he's having with his secretary who's like making him crazy and you know sloan's quote father is on the phone and he says i need you to produce a corpse which is the most terrifying three words I've ever heard produce a corpse like in a <laughs> row. Um, like I think he did a great, like seriously a great job in that scene. It was very, very funny um, to watch him just get so angry, but then he just mm-hmm. kind of turns into like creepy villain, which I know was really the intention of that role, but um, mm-hmm. I'm glad he got kicked in the face. In any case, he is on a mission to prove that Ferris is behind all of this and says the phrase produce a corpse, which is very, very uncomfortable. Um, So they pick up Sloan and they do the like, they show up in the Ferrari and then you hear the chicka chicka, which is beautifully timed. And then Ferris like makes out with her in front of the principal. (laughs) So that's how they do it in their family. Yep, here we are. Um, and then they go out and they like have a day on a town on the town in Chicago, which like, okay, seemingly the parents are home at six. We know that they say that in the movie. We know that Cameron probably didn't come over until what, maybe ten or eleven. Mm-hmm. Then they had to pick up Sloan. How are we? How are we doing all these things before six? Like. It was very suspend disbelief to me because, like, I don't know where they live in comparison to Chicago. True. I imagine not in the city because they had to drive there and on the highway. Like, it well, was just a lot of things. Funny enough, you uh, uh, like when I rewatched it again, I was like, "Wow, this this timeline is really funky with with how much they crammed in." Um, my my thought was that you know he when when his parents left that morning and when Jeannie left and she went to um school it, ferris must have called cameron within I, I would assume within half an hour of them leaving so i mean assuming that they left at like 7 30 in the morning like he's on the phone with cameron at eight cameron's probably at the bueller house by nine and then they have sloan in tow by like 9 30 or 10 maybe 
mm-hmm. feel like we're now sliding into like serial podcast and we're trying to recreate timelines. And I kind of well, like it. <laughs> the one the one thing that I'm actually taking away, if you want a little bit of trivia, so they go to the Cubs game. Um yes. and the Cubs Cubs always played no, sorry, up until I think it was 2014. Wrigley Field never had stadium lights, so so there was never ever a night game at Wrigley Field until 2014. So I know that back in the 80s, the game had to have started at one o'clock, and then okay. you know who knows how long they stayed at the game. But that's kind of what I'm gauging because they did have lunch at the French restaurant before they went to the game. Oh, you're right. I didn't think about that. That they went for lunch and they had they. St- they stole the noon reservation. That's a good yes. point. We have another timestamp. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess Cameron is just very, very, uh, has a weak backbone when it comes to Ferris that he got convinced so quickly <laughs> to come over um, as he was feeling so sick. But I guess I could believe it. Speaking of the lunch reservation, I Googled to see if there was an actual sausage king. There is a real sausage king in Chicago. Um, but his name is not Al or whatever it is. His name Abe is Doug. Uh, oh, Abe. That's it. Not Al. You're right. Uh, so his name is not Abe. His name is Doug. And his nickname is Hot Doug. And I Googled way too deep in this. Um, so if you search for the Sausage King or Hot like Hot Doug in Chicago, um, he just put out a movie called Hot Doug's The Movie premiered in june um and they also have a podcast called nick and doug's sound explosion i have not listened to it but i will read you the description of a real sausage kings podcast um two middle-aged quote or i'm sorry two middle-aged parentheses and devilishly handsome men discuss ponder confront question and rarely answer the glut of life's mysteries and also updates on Columbia University's athletics except soccer because Doug hates soccer. It's starring Doug Schoen who is hot Doug the Sausage King and Nick Marcos who is apparently called the Hitmaker who I don't know who that is but yes it's a podcast called Nick and Doug's Sound Explosion a pure podcast for now people I am not endorsing this podcast. I have not listened to it, but it looks like they are actively like putting out episodes. So there is a Sausage King and he is like out there. You can get t-shirts. You can watch the movie. Like apparently though, you can't take his reservation for noon. This is, (laughs) this is absolutely fascinating. And, And I don't know if I'm fascinated with the fact that there is an individual who fits Abe Froman's description in Chicago, or or if it's the fact that you did the most detailed dive yes, on, on on a minuscule footnote in the movie. Bravo! It was, just, it was like it stuck out to me. So I was like, wait a minute, that's like a very weird because Sausage King sounds kind of like tongue in cheek a little bit, but also I'm you know slightly immature sometimes. So I was like, let me just check this, and it turns out there is someone that's like donned the sausage king but he's a hot dog guy so you know so funny so yeah there's my little promo for sausage in chicago (laughs) everybody go and check out nick and dave's sound explosion but know that we aren't a sponsor yes this is not me endorsing it. i have not listened to it it might be terrible who knows or it might be genius it could be the next (laughs) serial oh my god 
Well, so anyway, this Ferrari becomes like, not I don't want to say it becomes a character because I don't want to like deeply analyze Ferris Bueller's Day Off of all things, but like it's kind of like, it's so, like Cameron is so deeply connected to this thing because he hates it yet cares for it with his entire life, right? Like his dad is like, apparently loves this thing more than he loves him and he feels disrespected and like he doesn't have a dad and at the same time he wants to like make sure it doesn't get ruined um and also believes ferris when he's like oh we'll just put it in reverse to take the miles off like no really (laughs) i thought that ferris was kidding and like really that's the that's the plan (laughs) yeah and like even (laughs) even to the point where like i got my license and was still convinced at the time of getting my license that driving a car backwards would remove miles from the car. Um, you really thought that? I, I, I will admit to have believing that when I was, you know, 16 years old. Wow. Um, I know, I know, but, I but mean, I, I agree with you. Well, go ahead. I was gonna say, I guess I didn't believe it, put it on the car, but take it off the car. Paul. I mean, I know. Yeah, it's not one of my finer moments. And thank you for totally getting rid of my pivot there. Um, <laughs> oh, pivot. What? What? What were we talking no, about? Like, I don't even remember. <laughs> no, but for those for those old cars, you can you can actually pop the glass off the odometer and yeah. roll by hand the the you know the numbers back. Which I'm I'm interested in as to why Ferris didn't do that in the movie. Because that that was a thing with those old dial odometers on cars. Right. And it didn't even look like there was glass on it, which, I mean, I know we get the super tight shot of it, but it's like, you probably could have just done that on its own. But then he offers that as a suggestion. He's like, oh, well, Cameron, why don't we just pop it off and, and roll it back? And oh, he does. Like, no, we can't touch it. Yeah. It's like, no. He's like, no, we can't touch it. I'm like, dude, you already drove it like several hundred miles further than your dad knows about. Like, just like go lean in, man. Just lean in. But Cameron is simultaneously like super scared and being the voice of reason, but is also a pushover the entire time where he's like, <laughs> no, guys, we can't like, no, we can't take this guy's lunch reservation. No. Yeah, we can. OK, I guess we'll do it. <laughs> like, that's just what he does. It's just what he does. It's true. And and I what I love about Cameron so much is that, you know, I, I think I said it in the promo that Ferris Bueller is kind of like the it's kind of like the Seinfeld of movies where it's there's no real plot to it. It just it's it's yes. what they do and the things that, that happen to them. Um and you know, Ferris and um Sloan do not have character arcs. Rooney does, but in a way where it's like, aha, foiled yeah. But but Cameron genuinely has a character arc of yeah. you know, coming to terms with, you know, he has a shit father and he's gonna stick up for himself for once. And that's so redeeming about him. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I wish there was like Ferris Bueller or like Cameron Fry's freak out instead of day off like Karen Cameron Fry's best day ever where like we get to see him and hear like the internal like dialogue of man I hate Ferris why is he making me do these things but also I love it like (laughs) being an interesting point of view piece just saying it's true and and I think that we need to touch base on when Cameron went went catatonic because I that that was always one of the weirdest parts of the movie to me. Even even now watching it, the whole pool scene is just kind of I don't know. It's like what? I, I, yeah. I still don't get it. I wrote, "Oh no, are we contemplating suicide? This is not what you should do on your day off." 
Like, oh my God, <laughs> that was really scary. Like we see him looking in the water and like he plays it off like, oh, I totally got you, man. Like I got you. Ha ha. But it's like, no, but I think you really like broke a little bit. I think you really had a moment there, bud. Like that's pretty scary. I do too. And like, I think that he definitely snapped when the whole car thing happened, but I feel like it was Sloan, Sloan in the hot tub, her words, you know, though weren't, they weren't all that inspirational, but it was her saying, you know, like, you know, I can flip out real easily too. Saying like, you know, someone who is as put together and as accomplished as Sloan is can also, you know, be experiencing what Cameron was feeling that that kind of brought him, you know, you know, sobered him up a little bit. And then he played the joke of pretending to kill himself or, he genuinely did want to kill himself and was seeing he was testing how strong of a friendship Ferris had to him. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you could argue this a thousand different ways, right? Like the fact that he just kind of was like in shock and like realizing everything that had happened and just couldn't function because he was in such shock and then kind of came to maybe like underwater and, or you could play it like, Oh yeah, he knew the whole time and he was just like, you know, jerking Ferris around because Ferris kind of jerks him around and like, he's just going to be like, see what happens. But um, yeah, I had no idea like what we were trying to portray at the end of the day. Like what I'm, I w- would love to know what the writers of the scene were truly thinking that Cameron was thinking um, while he was staring at the water while sitting again, also Ferris Bueller worst friend ever award. I know we'll put our totally like, stunned slash paralyzed friend on a diving board that doesn't sound like a bad idea what what are we doing i i i I totally agree and it's like it's like yeah that's probably the last place where you want to put someone who is having a he's he's going through a major you know life freak out um but also and you know sticking on on the same vein of cameron being a jokester or whatever and i don't know if it's you know the lens of 2020 and I find it creepy, but when Sloan was like, Cameron, when I was changing, did you, did you look? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. And then, yep. and then like nothing happened from that. It's like, oh man. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a thing. And I, I wish I had like a word for it, but it's like, yeah, it's called, it's context now, right? Like, like we've advanced about 20 years. Well, more than that now it's 2020. Mm-hmm. We've advanced and we realized that things like that probably aren't great. Right, Cameron? Like maybe we shouldn't, maybe we don't do that. Maybe we don't do that. Yeah, maybe we don't do that. And and like I don't know. I, I was whenever I watched that, I'm either thinking, yeah, like A, nineteen eighty five was a long time ago, or B, Sloan and Ferris are just the coolest, you know, polyamorous couple ever and are like, Yeah, you know, fuck it, whatever. Right. And there's like a line there, right, where it's like if you I don't know how long that Sloan and Ferris have been together, but like if they're super tight and Cameron is the best friend, like you kind of become like I don't want to say a threesome like wink nudge, but like you become kind of a unit in yourself. And so it's like maybe Ferris doesn't feel threatened by Cameron. Like it's all friendship. Like, hey, no, we're cool. Like we're all best friends. I've got your back. You've got mine. Like kind of thing. Like I could see that. But yeah, yeah, not the greatest line in 2020 (laughs) or ever. Definitely not. No, of course not. Not (laughs) But I want it. Well, we skipped over now that we went forward into the pool scene. We totally skipped over the the float and the uh, oh, Donka Shane. Yes, Donka Shane. 
So here we are, Ferris Bueller. You're trying to get away with not getting caught. You even go through the effort of putting like a dummy in your bed and the string and the snoring machine. And you say, I know, I will jump on this float in the parade in the city. And I, I mean, I guess, again, it's it's 2020. Social media, not a thing, right? Like you could actually get away with this in 1986 because no one really necessarily was going to capture it. I mean, we did have cameras and also television, but like not everybody had a camera in their pocket like we do in 2020. Goodness, no. And, and and there was no circulation if any video was was uh, taken. So no, no it, it's just he he is just such a I don't know, like like again, it's the whole parade float scene is another part of the movie which is it's just a little out of place, but mm-hmm. it but it makes the movie what it is. It is so funny. Yeah. And I mean like they've got the girls have a choreographed dance to Twist and Shout, which is yes. seemingly like spontaneous, but apparently not. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, I learned this too in my all my deep diving. Um, Back to School opened the same weekend as Ferris Bueller, and that also had Twist and Shout in it. Oh, and that's so interesting. The song now is in two big movies at the exact same time, and apparently, Twist and Shout re-entered the billboard charts 16 years after the Beatles had actually broken up, which was actually 20 years after they covered the song. So 20 years after this song even came out, it's back on the charts. (laughs) And like the Beatles aren't even a thing because they had already broken up over a decade before. That is crazy. And Paul McCartney said it was fine like to use it, but then he got mad. Of all things, he was like, oh, there's too much brass. I don't like that we use too much brass in this version. Oh, like, whatever. You had like German looking girls in like sexy milkmaid costumes, and you're like, oh, there's too much brass. Like, okay, Paul. Sounds great. <laughs> not you, Paul. The other, the Beatles, Paul. Not, not, yeah. not me, Paul, but the Beatles, Paul. Wow, that was so good. Uh, no, it wasn't, talking, but thank you. Is this Paul McCartney? Am I talking with Paul McCartney? <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, no, I, <laughs> I I I love the um yeah, I love the parade float scene. I mean really, yeah, really great. Iconic. It is truly iconic. Cameron just comes around. Cameron just comes around. Exactly. But in any case, we we get the Ferrari back. Um mm. Meanwhile, we also see like inner cuts of like possible threat. So possible threat one, as we know, is Rooney. He starts to figure it out. He goes to their house, which, again, creepy all around, like things that principals should not do. Mm-hmm. Go over to a student's house for no reason. Ring their doorbell and threaten them. Sneak around their house. Try to scale the side of their house. Get like hurt their dog in like a yes. legitimate way. Like, break into their house. Like, all of these things, right? Like, are like, that's terrifying. We also have the scene where, like, mom comes home because Rooney was on the phone and said, hey, like, just so you know, your son was absent nine times. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. Um, And so she comes home, but she falls for the prank. Then we've got Jeannie figuring it out, right? So we see all these, like, inner cuts of threats. Mm-hmm. And then we see Jeannie come home because she finally figures it out and also gets fed up with everybody trying to, like, save Ferris Bueller, which, again, very solid, like, C-level plot of, hey, the whole school is in love with this dude and half of them don't know who he is. Um, 
And then Jeannie kicks Bruni in the face. And it's amazing. It is. And it's Jeannie leads to one of my favorite lines of, of, you know, or one of my favorite quotable lines where it's like, to you know, to to whomever's in the house, I just want to let you know I've called the police. I also have my father's handgun, and I have a scorching case of herpes. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's great writing. Well, and then there's the like through the lens of 2020 that feels really a little bit uncomfortable when she calls the police and the police don't believe her that someone is in the house. Truly, that felt. Yeah. A little wrong, a little bad. Felt a little a bad. Little, a little too close to home, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I guess I understand why we don't need police to show up in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Like it would, the movie would not do well. I don't, I don't think it would just be. It would go in a very serious direction at a time that we just didn't need it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't feel great. And then she's like hiding under her comforter the whole time instead of trying to like figure out who's in her house. Yeah, or like escape. Yeah, yeah. Which you would have thought she would have like recognized him. Like he's a very, like, I don't know, unique looking man. Right. He's a six foot seven ginger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he's huge. So she just hides the whole time. But in any case, it's just a lot of weird stuff that I'm like, okay, why does the principal need to be like all up in this house right now? It's just weird. It is. It is super weird. But you know. On the again on the, on the on the flip side, Jeannie kind of gets her moment of catharsis too, you know, where she finally comes around and realizes that Ferris isn't a bad guy. He's just, you know, trying to enjoy what he has, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you had described it to me as like everyone got exactly what they needed and nothing more, and that's like a beautiful way to describe everybody's journey. Mm-hmm. And while they have very small character arcs, I think Cameron, like you said, has the <laughs> best arc (laughs) yeah (laughs) like they do except maybe rooney doesn't really get what he needs right like he ends up on a bus without maybe it is what he needs maybe you know he needs the humility of you know you left a whole school of kids alone because you are fixated on busting one kid you know it's yeah maybe that is what he needs was the humility of it all and he certainly got that that is for sure Oh, good Lord. He really did. But can we talk about Charlie Sheen now? Because I feel like we're <laughs> we're kind of there. Um, I, 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 think we, I think we need to. We need to talk about Charlie Sheen. So I screamed like, what? I did not expect to see Charlie <laughs> Sheen in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I Googled it because like what basically I Googled was Charlie Sheen on drugs during Ferris Bueller's Day Off because I feel mm-hmm. like that's a fair Google search to go through. <laughs> The answer is apparently no, that he was not on drugs. Instead, he decided to stay up for 48 straight hours in order to achieve his like very strung out Charlie Sheen look, Mm -hmm. which knowing what I know about Charlie Sheen, I feel like he didn't need to do that necessarily to achieve that look. But here we are. And here we are. Um, But apparently too there was supposed to be like a whole backstory for his character that's Mm -hmm. extended so far as to the vermont family that ferris's mother was showing the house to was actually charlie's family that was supposed to be the backstory and you knew that yes that is that is something that i that i have known um a little you know cool piece of cinema which never happened and it just goes to show that you know 
these movies, there's sometimes so much left on the cutting room floor that is just gold and would have, you know, enriched the story further. Yeah. Well, it would have just taken it in such an interesting direction. Like, I think this is, I mean, not anymore, right? Because it's too, it's too late now. We've missed the window to bring back like Matthew Broderick and all these characters, but especially yeah. Machine. But like, oh God, yeah. we could have achieved a not great, but not terrible sequel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off to like extend some of these storylines. Like I would have loved to watch, or we could have had Jeannie Bueller's Day Off, right? Like she sneaks out of school to go like hook up with her like badass boyfriend, Charlie Sheen. Like That's I would have watched true. that movie. Right? But at, but at the same time, at, at the same time, you know, the movie gave every character what they needed and, and nothing more. But didn't it also give the audience everything it needed and nothing more? <sighs> what? what? My mind is blown. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. That's and like when I hear people say that they want to remake or no, sorry, or like reboot Ferris Bueller and do, or do like a a shot for shot remake. I feel like it's one of those movies that just cannot be touched. You know, it's, it's, it's perfect as it is. Let it go. Move on. Yeah. I mean, I am glad that they didn't, we don't have another Ferris Bueller reboot or like Mm -hmm. the weird, like, Oh, remember when this movie was so great, we recreated it with all new characters. Like, no, don't do that. Like we don't need to do that. But in any case, I feel like we have to talk about Cameron, Cameron's moment. Yes. When he like talks about how like he's really gonna miss everybody. And I really just wanted vitamin C's graduation playing in the background, like <laughs> he's gonna miss all his friends and like you know, everybody's gonna move on and like am I really gonna see you all again? And he like takes a stand against his dad and he's like, No, I'm gonna take the fall for it. And Ferris is like, Don't worry, I could do it. And it's like, Are you going to though, Ferris? Like, I don't think he would have. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he would have either. Um and you're right. It's 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 so sad that you know Cameron's had this great day. Not only has he had fun, but you know he's finally confronting his dad about his his, his life and all that. But actually, in, in in rewatching this, I actually have more pity for Ferris than I do for Cameron. Really? Only be, yeah. Only because I don't know. I I think that he's skipping school so much because he's realizing high school's coming to an end, and he may have peaked. Because you, you, you hear Cameron say to Sloan, you know, what is Ferris going to do a, a, after high school? And Cameron's, Cameron says something like, oh, he'll be flipping burgers. Cameron's going to mm-hmm. college. Sloan's going to stay in high school. But, but when Ferris is gone, I, you know, this, this may be, he, he may be trying to, you know, get in like, like a last hurrah before he inevitably, you know, goes into this, like, me, into like the mediocrity of life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... He definitely, Cameron, I think, is much more grounded, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And so he's facing this, like, it's not like, in, I don't want to say impending doom. That's a little dramatic. But <laughs> I think he is, as an introvert, and clearly has a little depression situation going on, some anxiety, a lot of anxiety, change mm-hmm. is not fun. And we're we're now facing that head on. And mm-hmm. for some reason, busting up a car allowed him to, like, come out as a beautiful butterfly with a little more security <laughs> a so, little more security yeah just a little i mean who knows or, or j- just to be grounded you know Mm-hmm. it's fair oh gosh but i mean um, at the end of the movie we see ferris basically is the sweetest child ever 
you know, and he like, mm. oh, he's perfect. Everything's great. He runs home. He sees Rooney. Which is the whole run home is just one of my favorite scenes ever. What just running, running through the houses and, oh, hey, dinner's ready. And like, yes. Just... Oh, my God. Or when you I mean, he runs like through people's backyards and the two like beautiful women. And he kind of like, you know, he's going to come back like it's Ferris Bueller. So he comes back. He's like, hi. Hello, you're at my loop. I'm here. Ferris Bueller. Yes, hello. Which is like, if you're going to have a, I don't know what a sexy name would be, but I can tell you that Ferris Bueller is not a sexy name. <laughs> like, that is not I a know. name that it's like, hey, I'm Ferris, Ferris Bueller. Like, are you though? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is so great. I, I love it. You know, like, 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 like the whole ending of the movie. And then, of, of course, you know, he, he gets to the, to the backyard, he finds Rooney. And then, you know, Jeannie has has her redeeming moment, you know, being, you know, you know, not not being envious of her brother, but appreciating him for, you know, who he is. You know, that was that was that was fantastic. You know, yeah, it was it was honestly, I didn't even see it coming. I don't know if you did when you were, you know, 10 years old watching this movie for the first time. <laughs> but I truly thought Jeannie was going to take advantage and not even like be mean about it, but just like kind of take what she's kind of wanted and. I mean, I don't want to say what she deserves because, you know, she's just like, well, I go to school and Ferris doesn't. That's not fair. But I thought that she would really take advantage of the moment to say, like, I finally got you. Like of all these times that I told mom and dad that you were terrible and that you were skipping. And, you know, I finally am proving that I'm not like crazy, that I'm not like making this up. But instead, mm-hmm. she's just like the nice older sister. Who's like, but yeah. I think she's a younger sister, right? Because oh, Ferris is a be senior. Yeah. Right. Oh, that changes the dynamic in my head for them. Which is also weird though. Why would the younger child get a car before the older child? Also true. Right. That's a plot hole we need to investigate. We need to investigate it. (laughs) Maybe she's like, well, no, because she does drive by herself. I was going to say we see her driving, obviously, when she speeds home to try to beat Ferris with her mother. But I was going to say maybe she's trying to get her permit, like she has her permit and she can drive a car. But we see her drive to school. Yeah. So interesting. That is interesting. No, but but it's weird that you know you kind of as as the audience perceive her as being older because she's so wrapped up in in you know busting him. It's you know it's it, it it's kind of it's kind of strange you know that the archetype of that person goes to the older sibling. That is true. I didn't even think twice about that until you just said maybe she mm-hmm. or she's probably younger. Yeah, because she and she also just feels more mature, right? Because Ferris is setting the bar pretty low for maturity. And this so is very true. you associate like mature girl with like older and kind of being like, oh, Ferris, you're my annoying little brother. But really, mm-hmm. like, no, he's the big brother that can get away with stuff for some reason. Well, it's because his parents like think he is, you know, this perfect child, which good on Ferris for being able to pull all this stuff off and still never getting busted for it. It's it's true, you know, and you know the one of the best moments of symbolism in the movie, which just kind of encapsulates who he is and like and like the whole day that he had, is and and I don't know if you caught it. It's kind of like a throwaway moment, but he, you know, Genie lets him in. He runs upstairs. He strips off his clothes. He gets into bed. He shoves the mannequin away, and as he's pretending to be asleep, he hears the the stereo going with the with the snoring on loop. And mm-hmm. he takes the base. He takes the baseball that he caught at the Cubs game, 
hits the power button perfectly and the ball bounces and rolls into a glove. Yes. It's like, like that's, that's, that's fantastic. Well, it's also like, I mean, if we want to get real deep, cause I'm sh- I'm sure this was not what the directors were thinking, but like, it's such a metaphor for his life, right? Like exactly. everything is crazy. There's a lot of risk of danger, perceived danger, but yet everything works out just so. Like he doesn't break the stereo. He just turns it off. It rolls perfectly into the glove where it belongs. Like it just, it just works. And I mean, if Jeannie were to have seen that, I think she would have told on him. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Oh man. What a, what a great movie. Well, have you heard, and I wanted to close with this cause I mm-hmm. feel like this is right up your alley. Mm-hmm. There is a fan theory about this movie. Are you aware of theory? Lay it on me. I, I, I don't know yeah. if I know it. Of course, this is based on something I found on fantheories.fandom.com. So mm-hmm. just grain of salt on that. But there is a fan theory out there that is called the Fight Club Theory. And it, it's basically the gist of it is that Ferris Bueller is not a real person. And he is just a figment of Cameron's imagination. Oh, wow. And, and, like this alter ego and he's the the Tyler Durden. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so quote, Ferris quote, takes the car, you know, does all these things, but really Cameron takes the car and Mm -hmm. does all these things that, that Ferris would do. And also Sloan is part of his imagination as like his dream girl. And she doesn't, maybe she does exist in, in real life and he just imagines her as part of this whole day, but she is not there. Oh man, that's a little creepy. Right? Oh my gosh. I never thought about that, but no, that's, that's kind of mind blowing. I, I, I love that theory. So that is the theory. If you would like to get way deep down in it, you can on the internet because there's <laughs> lots of places you can read about it. <laughs> But oh that is the the theory I wanted to to throw at the end to have you think on. Oh, absolutely, and I and I appreciate you you uh you you telling me that because now I'm now I'm perceiving this in a totally different way. Yes. So rewatch it, Ooh. knowing that it's one thing. Stay off. I'm sorry, sorry to have interrupted you. One thing that that we didn't touch base on. Did you watch the end credit scene? Mm. So, oh, when so, he, yes, go ahead. When, so when he when when he comes out in the bathrobe, at like at like the very end after after the credits, did you watch that? Yes, I did. Oh, got it. Okay, no, that's again. It it's another perfect fourth wall break that that the writers do, and 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 that has been spoofed so many times. And I mean, I, I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Deadpool. Yes, I have. Did, all right. So, did you see the end credit scene of Deadpool? I did. It is it is it is a shot for shot remake with the same wallpaper and everything of Deadpool in a robe walking out saying, "What are you still doing here?" It shows over. That's amazing. Um mm-hmm. yes, I did watch it this time around. Um and yeah, I thought it was a good like final wrap of the fourth wall because it comes out like so strong in the beginning and obviously throughout the whole movie. Um and I loved it. I also, now that you say Matthew Broderick coming out of the shower, I forgot to mention there's like a a small Matthew Broderick six pack sa- like shower scene that happens. Like we oh, see yeah. him come out and he's like minor 
minor six pack action. I just feel like I have to mention that because it's like, <laughs> this has to be mentioned. I mean, that's not something that I normally take away when watching this movie, but I mean, he was what he was in his early to mid twenties when, when they, uh, when they filmed it. So yeah, I mean, he was in awesome shape. Yeah. They had to give it to him. They absolutely had to give it to him. So for all the folks like me who have not seen this movie, but want to make it sound like they've seen this movie, Paul, what is something that you need to know? Like what's a a classic line or moment? There's a lot of them in this movie. I mean, everybody knows the Ben Stein Bueller line, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's pretty classic. I think singing Dunkashin or Twist and Shout is pretty important. I don't know. I'm, you know, looking back, there's so many iconic moments in the movie, which you can take away and I don't know, kind of like dissect, you know, what's important and what's not. Um, when, whenever I think of Ferris Bueller, I always think of, and I know that we didn't really touch base on it, but um, the art museum and how it, 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 you know, the, the movie kind of slows down and slows down at that point, but, you know, especially Cameron with like, taking in the uh the pointillism uh, I, f- I forget the name of the painting but really diving into the to the detail of the pointillism and realizing that you know he is just one dot in this whole grand grand scheme of things which also parallels them at the top of sears tower i'm not going to call it trump tower the top of sears tower <laughs> when they're all standing on the railing head on the glass looking over it, you know, Cameron gets that feeling of he's just a piece in all of this. It, he like, it, he like, I don't know that like life is kind of like life is bigger than what he's making it to be. So that's, that's actually what, what I kind of uh, associate the movie with. But if there's a line that we didn't mention that I, that I absolutely love, it's when Rooney is getting a slice of pizza um, and or, or no, no, it wasn't pizza. It, it was a hot dog. And he's watching the Cubs game. And as he's like looking away, Ferris pops up on the screen at, at, at the Cubs game. Um, but uh, he, he, he's ordering the hot dog and he's talking to the chef and he's like, and he's like, who's winning? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. He goes, he goes, what's the score? And he goes, and he goes, tied zero, zero. And, and he goes, who's winning? And the chef goes, the bears. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's one of my that was very funny. One of my that favorite, most funny. most underrated lines in the whole movie. That was pretty funny. I mean, it's just the funny like he's so preoccupied that like he can't even do conversation well. Like very very funny. Exactly, it is very very true. Yeah, there's there's so many iconic lines. I think we've definitely covered them. Like just know that Ferris stole a Ferrari, and then if you want to really pretend like you've seen this movie, drop the fan theory on them that you know. Yeah. You've that maybe can't that maybe Ferris is just a figment of Cameron's imagination. So I always have to kind of answer if this movie has lived up to the hype and if I deserved all the ridicule that I have received for not seeing the movie. Um, <laughs> I think it's definitely lived up to the hype. Like it's like you said, it's not really a movie about nothing, but it's a feel good movie about nothing. Like this is the movie that. If I'm feeling like, oh, what do I want to watch today? Like, I'll watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, it's like The Office, but a movie. Like, I'll just mm-hmm. watch The Office again. Oh, I can watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off again. So I think it's like a solid, I mean, if I had to give it stars, like a solid, like four and a half out of five. Like, I love that. 
Not and, a lot and, of plot, but <laughs> and it's funny, I was actually ju- just about to ask you, being a first-time viewer, if you had to rate it like out of 10, what would you rate it as? And and no, I I think that's an astute uh, observation. I think that's a great, great rating. I mean, I'm I'm so glad that A, you're doing this podcast, but B, that you're that like you've seen this movie, which I again I've quoted probably I don't know, like since since I've known you, again, it's been what, 12, 13 years, but like uh, I have been quoting this movie since we became friends. So finally it's like, Oh wow. Cool. She gets it. I get it now. And you've, <laughs> you've dealt with me all this time. Well, I'm excited to do this too. And Paul, it was so great to have you to talk about this movie with. I'm glad we got this cool anecdote about like how tall the principal actually was. Um, but thank you so much for making me watch Ferris Bueller's day off. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such an awesome experience and, uh, Can't wait to be a part of the next one. Jackie Watches Stuff is supported by our listeners. I'd like to thank our supporters in the Academy on Patreon. They are Jarrett S., Linda V., Bree S., Missy V., Paul H., Logan B., and Tom S. Thank you so much for your generous ongoing support of this show. If you'd like to join the Academy and get a shout out for supporting us, visit patreon.com slash Jackie watches stuff. You can also support the show by submitting a review on your podcast player or sharing it with your family and friends. Jackie watches stuff is hosted by me, Jackie Vetrano and produced by Sean Flynn. You can find Sean on Twitter at WXGeek. Jackie watches stuff is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can listen online at JackieWatchesStuff.com. You can also send us your thoughts on Ferris Bueller's Day Off on Twitter. We're at JackieWatches. Thanks for listening. Join me next time. I'll be watching Titanic. Titanic.